0: Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This episode we are discussing two psycho from hell kind of thrillers from 1992. Uh, Not one that you would expect, I'll explain. Uh, We're going to be discussing The Hand That Rocks the Cradle and uh, Single White Female. We are going to skip Basic Instinct. That was originally planned. Basic Instinct is shit. (laughs) It is (laughs) unadulterated shit. Oh my god. Did we talk about this in the last episode? I can't remember
1: i think we did i think we were in the kind of in the deliberation i'm more in favor of it because like it's really fucking schlocky but that kind of fits with like in in my opinion like her novel is i think supposed to be kind of like erotic thriller schlock so i I thought it kind of worked but maybe that wasn't actually the intention
0: i don't know have you seen it recently though uh
1: a couple years ago
0: oh really okay i mean Uh
1: I was I like I was like laughing at it I
0: didn't think it was like Ugh. yeah I almost okay so Paul Verhoeven's confusing fuck it I guess we are discussing this real quickly um, <laughs> I'm never sure if movies today. look Paul Verhoeven always seems like he's fucking with his audience you know ever since you know Robocop and it kept increasing yeah. with each entry is like crazier and crazier but I cannot sit through Sharon Stone's performance she's so fucking bad
1: she's very wooden uh, um but I, again, I think that's kind of the point. But I mean, like, we can you can defend a creator's decision all day, but at the but you know at the end of it, it w- was it like a pleasurable experience? No, not really. So I guess it doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah, whereas I think like the two movies that we're really discussing today are, I think, legitimately good movies. Uh, both were yeah, hits. Yeah, definitely at the, higher quality. Both were hit movies. And, the, you know, they got the acclaim and stuff like that, but they were nowhere nearly as big or as influential as Basic Instinct. I mean, that thing made $250 million worldwide. And, yeah, I think a lot of it's because it's horny and it does have really high production values. It's just not good. <laughs>
1: it's, it's, it's the crop shot. We all know it. Like, we don't have to dance around it. I mean, that's probably a VHS seller right there.
0: Yeah, it's a... Uh... So, Hand the Rock's Cradle... I feel like that one came out of nowhere nobody was really expecting this to make money and I think it helped that it came out I think at the very end of January me early February when there's not a lot of competition and, and word went around it was one of those movies I remember opened okay and just kept ticking along back in the day when you could just do that for a month and made Rebecca DeMornay a, a bigger name she kind of been floating around for a little while but after this, she got a lot of uh, lead roles. Sadly, none were as successful as this. But I think, I think it's a really good performance. That's at the same time cold and calculating, but also you can constantly tell that she's barely holding it together.
1: Yeah. What was interesting watching this for me was like it's basically. Um, oh man, what was the one with Michael Douglas and Glenn Close? It's fatal it it attraction. Yes, it was basically fatal attraction. If uh, you started at like the the last part of the second act and just kept going,
0: yeah. Do you think her character was always like this? Like, like it didn't take a good person, like an innocent woman, and make her um, evil. It always, it, for me, it felt like that she was always kind of that way or delusional or something like that. Something was broken in her already, and this just, te- you know, she was teetering. This just pushed her over the edge
1: i felt the same way and i think a lot of it is because she was you know married to a rapist and she i feel like she probably knew about it it was okay with it like i kind of had that vibe and it was weird that they never shared any screen time there was kind of this weird separation between that that i thought was kind
0: of creepy yeah for those who haven't seen the movie it's there's sexual misconduct by a uh doctor with the main character played by annabella siorra and she reports and i guess there's a long history of these reports and eventually he uh loses his practice is going to go bankrupt and kills himself and then at the same exact time his wife played by rebecca de mornay is at home she's going through this emotional trauma and she ends up losing her baby and so through this these massive events uh in her life it kind of breaks her and turns her uh manipulatively like she's trying to steal the family of of annabelle siora who she feels is responsible for all of it
1: yeah because like the the stress of what happens uh, like her reporting is what caused her husband to lose his practice caused him to kill himself and that stress caused her to lose the child so it, it, it in her kind of messed up way it was her fault even though she was the victim of sexual abuse so uh, it, it's uh it's a very dark movie that i was not expecting it to go in this direction
0: yeah, her uh, her slow breaking down. I love that they don't really waste a whole lot of time. In a lot of these movies, we feel like there's like an hour of buildup and then a half hour of uh, of you know the the evil part. But almost from like what five minutes in, ten minutes in, she's already has her plan down. She's there to be the new babysitter. She's already manipulated situations in a way uh, so that she can get it with this family without having to do like a real background check and, and stuff like that
1: yeah i also want to point out that ernie hudson's uh performance is excellent in this movie and i think that specifically in this movie because i think when you're talking about mental illness a lot of people tend to play up mental illness as being psychotic or like you know the the most damaged version of a human being when really like how ernie plays it is generally how like most people with mental disorders are like they still feel emotions like you know love and for other people they have a sense of humor it's just not maybe it's
0: just not exactly how we see it um, yeah
1: so they have all the same emotions and he definitely plays up that in, in a way that I'm respectful when i was just watching the movie smile like immediately after this movie and i was like okay there and, and the movie smiles you know just came out what last year uh-huh. and it still has a lot of the same negative stereotypes of people with mental illness so i i really want to commend this movie for having really good uh mental illness representation because anyone who may not know i am in that field so it was the breath of fresh air to see someone with a mental illness in a movie and was not immediately stigmatized as a psychotic
0: well it's really hard and i was cringing because i remembered i haven't seen this since it came out i remembered uh his portrayal and i was like oh man back then special needs uh people were portrayed as like just cartoonish, almost. Like, real... There's really no nuance in a lot of the performances. Like, uh... Like, I mean, I don't, I don't want to use the movie, but you know that... You know that saying that they had in Tropic Thunder? Um, what... You know, like, Forrest yeah. Gump. Forrest Gump just plays kind of, like, on the edge of that, whereas I Am Sam goes too far, you know, whatever. And it's all... It all is kind of embarrassing. And I think yeah. he plays it very delicately, and the script... Gives him nuance that I don't think a lot of roles yep. like this would get. And, and I think it's really sad that he never got any credit for this whatsoever. And I'm still mad that even the posters for Ghostbusters, all these years later, he still isn't on there, even though he is clearly the fourth Ghostbuster. Damn it! <laughs> yeah, I know. I know he
1: comes into the Ghostbusters late, but he's in the entire second
0: movie. I mean, like, give him some fucking credit. Yeah. The um, he was the he was the. Every-
1: Man, it was just like going into the situation, he was kind of an avatar for the audience. Give him the credit.
0: Right, right. He's, you know, yeah, he's us going into that situation because none of us are scientists. He was the normal everyday guy. Um, yeah. The situation that she puts Solomon in by placing the underwear into the tool case is one of the most heartbreaking. Mean devastating scenes, and it hurts every single time that I think about that. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, that, that I mean, out of all the cruelty in, in that movie, that was really fucked
0: up. Well, and and she had already messed with him already because, and I, I, I commend the bravery of the character because even though she threatens him when he accidentally sees him, uh, her breastfeeding the baby, um. Mm-hmm. That you know, she comes down and, and she's like slowly, kind of checking out what kind of person he is, and she flat out says the R word. She, you know, a like, "Are you whatever?" And then she's like, "Did you like seeing me like that?" And then she just flat out slaps him, and he's scared, but he's still like, "You're not gonna hurt my friends. You're not gonna hurt my friends."
1: Yeah, he, yeah, exactly. And that's again, it's it's it was, it was really good to see a you know character like that. Um that I, I still have, don't really see that often. So right. that that was that was all that was great. Uh and, and on the on the same token there, um Re- Rebecca de Mornay's character, excellent as well.
0: Yeah, it's she really it's, like
1: we were talking about earlier, always walking that line yeah. of like she could break literally any second and you're just waiting
0: for it to happen. And spoilers for you who haven't seen the movie, uh Solomon does come back to help save the day, but I don't know if it's a deleted scene or we were always supposed to assume that he was going to watch out for them and protect him since he already didn't trust her. Or, or do you yeah, feel like there, there was, was something... Yeah, there because was, he's just there. There was a scene where he
1: was like... Yeah, there was a scene where he was like following them on the, on his bike, um, checking up every now and then. But um, I think that was only... I think they only showed him like following following them around on, like, once, but the insinuation was that he was still like keeping an eye on
0: the situation. Oh, Okay. Uh, a young Julianne Moore is her uh, friend in this movie. I always kind of interested in oh, yeah. seeing actors, r- actresses right before they break, you know, through... oh, um... well, I th- You know, I didn't realize this was written by a woman, and in a lot of times when they write thrillers, it does seem like there's a lot more nuance. You know, I think guys sometimes are a blunt hammer. <laughs> this lady... Yeah. <laughs> um, was she... Oh, it said, that's weird. It doesn't say... Okay, so she did hand the Rock's the Cradle first, then she did Eye for an Eye with... Um, Sally Field and uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Have you ever seen that? Uh,
1: I've heard about it, and
0: it's on my watch list. Yeah, it's a really good one. Uh, The Relic, uh, she wrote Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Jurassic World, War of the Planet of the Apes. Now she's doing all of the Avatars, and she's coming back for Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. (laughs) This is a hell of a career.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't really care for most of those movies, but I mean, I can't deny that like they're like huge properties. Yeah, uh,
0: this is from Curtis Hanson, and Curtis Hanson's one of these directors that kind of got stuck in thrillers for a little while. Uh, he had done Bedroom Window, which we discussed back in 87, uh, Bad Influence, This, and The River Wild. But in 1997, he did L.A. Confidential, and he never looked back. He just did dramas after that, <laughs> and uh, it's just not as much fun. I mean, Wonder Boys is a good movie. Eight Miles is a good movie, but I don't go watch them again like I will some of these movies. Right, yeah. Um, I, nothing else I really want to say about this movie? Anything else you want to? Uh,
1: no, I think it was a, a, a definitely a really good movie. I think what threw me off at first was it did feel kind of like a retread of uh, Fatal Attraction, but it very quickly sort of deviates and kind of gets into the meat of the movie a lot faster. And uh, so, it, if you do have that reservation of like, "Oh, I've seen this before," it will pick up the pace really quickly.
0: Yeah. It, well, I mean, in, like we discussed before, Fatal Attraction kind of sets the template for the, the, the adult thrillers that would come out for the next decade. And then, well, almost the next decade, then Seven would change things again to the serial killers. So it was no longer like, The White from Hell, The Bachelor from Hell, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. Um, but Single White Female is another along that line, The Roommate from Hell. And this is another one where it really could have been a mess and really handled her problems incorrectly or exploitation kind of feel about it. But I think they did a very good job of analyzing what went wrong with Jennifer Jason Leigh's character and why she has this need to be uh, basically almost like absorbed. Like the thing. (laughs) She absorbs. Right, yeah. uh, Because she had a twin that died when she was very young and that's always been her other half. And it's like she was constantly looking for another person to complete that and already, like, they they mentioned, like, it's been years where she had to have therapy and and she's been gone, and and they want, her parents want her to come back and continue getting therapy, and that's a big driving point, is that she just, I think she's sick of it, and then she just can't get things right. And, and trying to clean up these messes or whatever, and it just gets out of control. Yeah,
1: I mean, I don't know how much, like, as you said, this is the, you know, we're kind of doing Blank from Hell um, movies. Uh, it's hard to think of new things to say when, it, like, a lot of the plots kind of revolve around sort of the same situation. But I really did enjoy this movie. Um, what I think, I mean, Jennifer Jason is excellent in this. Um, probably one of her better performances.
0: Yeah, and, and this is Bridget Funt is basically coming out as a lead. Um, I think she does a very good job in this.
1: Yeah, I think the the big misstep in this movie because like the, it, 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 it's always hard when you have when we have like two great movies um, to find a lot to talk about because like it's just really good. We'll go watch it. Um, one, of the, I think one of the big missteps of this movie's is probably like the last ten minutes. I wasn't, I, I didn't really get the like how it kind of turned into um, almost a noirish style. Um, uh, thriller end there with uh, her chasing around with the gun. I thought that does a little yeah. bit, a little bit over the top, a little
0: bit weird. I really, th- I hadn't seen the movie since it came out. and I really thought the movie ended up in the apartment. I didn't know there was gonna be this whole hunter thing with her lines. That's the thing yeah. I don't like is that she started having like these one-liners. And down the basement or whatever, and I didn't really care for that. I also, I like. I mean, I know it happens, but killing the dog. Oof, that is that was one of the hardest yeah. things to take because she just like, it's like throws it off the balcony. Oh my yeah.
1: god! <laughs> there is uh, a uh, Korean movie called "Barking Dogs Never Bite," where the entire movie revolves around this, that exact situation. Someone throws dog basically off the roof, and it kind of like kickstarts this entire um, film. It, it's a really good one. It's by the same guy who did Parasite, who won you know the, the Oscar for Best Director. If you haven't seen his stuff, go check it out. He's an excellent filmmaker. Anyway, uh, what were we talking about?
0: Uh, Seeing a white female. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. Okay. Sorry. So yeah. One. Of, yeah. I. I agree. Is like. I felt as though it would. It would have made more sense if the finale ended in the apartment because that's sort of like where the tension comes in of having some this person in your home and sort of like that. Um, that sort of creepy feeling of someone um, who's not welcome
0: in your space. And uh, anyway, yeah, it just would have ended better there. The. Um... I feel like all the co- all the characters basically are pretty complicated like they're not all good and they're not all bad they all have the, like, these difficult challenging layers but except for Steven Tobolowsky is like the the guy who hires her to design stuff <laughs> that's a flat out asshole he gets what's coming to him yeah. <laughs> but then the, the, you know there's that moment though where he's trying to save her even though he's a piece of shit you're still like oh 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 maybe he'll oh never mind yeah <laughs>
1: That was weird to give him a little bit of redemption, um, so I do I do appreciate that a little bit, but yeah, he kind of, he kind of, you know, deserved that a little bit
0: at the end. I used to joke to a friend of mine that I was going to copy all his behavior traits or whatever and take over his life, I'm going to single white female you, and <laughs> that became like a, sl- a slang for us for a while. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, you're probably very popular. <laughs> the, uh, the words... <laughs> there was a directed video sequel to this and there was a pseudo remake called the roommates about 10 years ago but I-, I haven't seen either one of those uh where can you find the sequel i am interested um i bet you it's on crackle it's a it's a sony directed video release so i'll see if it's available um i can't imagine though because there was a sequel to basic instinct as well but can you imagine if there was a sequel to hand the rocks the cradle? like the hand still rocks the cradle <laughs> With a hand reaching out, three now in 3D. <laughs> From uh, yeah, like uh, the, uh, the hand that
1: rocks the cradle, too, rocking
0: the grave or something. It'll rock know, something your something cradle. cradle <laughs> <laughs> Was it uh, Wayne's World? They had a joke when they did like the top 10 movies of 1992, and it goes, huh, "The hand that rocks the cradle is gonna be rocking something else tonight, isn't it?" <laughs> yeah, Rebecca De Hornay. <laughs> Oh Oh, yeah, it was a moment. Wayne's world (laughs) is intriguing, but um, I couldn't let the episode go uh, without saying that. All right, so that is the end of this episode. The next one, I can't remember what I suggested. What the what I? It
1: was Army, Army of Darkness and Waxwork
0: 2. That's right. A Bruce, Well, sort of Bruce Campbell, double feature. Uh, Waxworks 2 is heavily influenced by Evil Dead 2. You, uh, you'll you be a little surprised that it didn't get sued. And Bruce Campbell does play in one of the vignettes. And uh, it's still a lot of fun. I don't think it's as good as the first one, but it's still a hoot. And, of course, come on, Army of Darkness, people. Got to
1: yeah, I mean, that's that's classic. Yeah. All right, Again, so that's, that's it. Another one. That's another one that we're not going to be able to talk about for very long, because it's just perfect. Watch it.
0: Yeah, well, people. I mean, there's the different know, cuts. There's There's different cuts. Uh, I'll tell you my seeing it in the theater story. <laughs> Ooh, okay, perfect. And that's about it. All right, have a good night, everybody. Good night, people.